Good day to you. Hope you're having a wonderful day. So my plan right now was to do our summary of Romans. And this is going to be my first go through and it may be my only go through, but let's just see how it goes. Now I had said that I was going to try to find out what had happened to Paul after the end of Acts. And from what I could find and read, it doesn't seem like there's a, a lot of absolute information, but but some information that points to certain things. Um, they believe Paul was actually found innocent of those charges against him when he went before uh, the emperor, and that uh, he continued in the Lord's work, and he may have tried to make his way to Spain, which was where he wanted to go, but... Mm, there wasn't anything that was absolutely certain that proves that he went to Spain, not from what I could find. There might be some controversy there. Uh, there might be some things that do hint that he did go to Spain. So, But then later, he was arrested again for some reason. We that was, It was not given in what I read. And, and they believe, according to um, what they do know, or what they believe, well, let me just put that they believe he was beheaded there in, in Rome this, this second time around when he was arrested. Uh, that him, I think it was him and Peter maybe were uh, put to death there. I, I don't remember exactly, but I do know that they, they believe that he was beheaded that time around, and that was years later. So, okay, so that was the fate of Paul and I know it's kind of sad, sorry to start that off that way, but I did say I would try to at least see what I could find out, and that's what I could find out if you find something different, or, you know, I don't, I don't know if anyone really knows 100% for sure, so just doing the best we can. So I want to do the summary of Romans now, and I'm just going to start, and I'm going to try to just go through each chapter and mention key things. I don't know actually how long this will take, so bear with me. This could be really long. It ended up being um, uh, two pages front and back, so, you know, that's not too bad. So we'll start with uh, chapter one. Chapter one, basically, um, chapter one is, the main idea of chapter one is the gospel is the power of God. Um, Paul has an intro, an introduction in, in this chapter. Uh, the key verse is verse 16. Now let me scroll down to 16 and I will read that and maybe it will make more sense as to why I think that's the key verse. To me, this was the key verse. I am not ashamed, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation from his wrath and punishment to everyone who believes in Christ as Savior, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So, that's, that's why. Because that basically summarizes the, the main idea behind this first, this first uh, chapter. Now, then in the second, then continuing on into the rest of the chapter, he, he Paul goes on into unbelief and the consequences of unbelief. You know, these uh, talking about folks choosing not to believe and not to follow God and that God allows them to continue in their depravity and to continue on in their way. 
So they did not see fit to acknowledge him. And uh, and it even says that some, you know, although they know God's righteous decree and his judgment, and that those who do such things deserve death, yet they do not only do them, but they even approve and tolerate others who practice them. So, so that's about um, the unbelief and the the bad things you know that people do. So unbelief and its consequences, or rejection of God and its consequences. So um, then we move on to chapter two. Now the main idea in chapter two is the impartiality of God and his righteous judgment. Now the key verses are 9 through 11. There will be tribulation and anguish, torturing confinement for every human soul who does or permits evil to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But glory and honor and inner peace will be given to everyone who habitually does good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For God shows no partiality, no arbitrary favoritism. With him one person is not more important than the other. So you understand that's my key verses there. Um, we are not to judge and condemn. Paul goes into you know, talking about we should not be judging and condemning God will be the, you know God will be the judge and um, talking about the law brings judgment and condemnation whereas circumcision of the heart you know because the Jew is condemned by law do not you know uh, the law brings judgment and condemnation because it is just a taskmaster or a rule master but then the real, the real circumcision of the heart through the spirit is what really matters. And this was being taught um, in a large part for the Jews there so that they could learn that they needed to move beyond the law and accept the, you know, the circumcision of the heart and change to follow, you know, what Jesus was saying and how, um, and to follow, well, and to follow Jesus, you know. But uh, but he was talking about following in a spiritual um, you know a spirit uh, the law not the letter of the law but the um, the spirit you know following the spirit of God and uh, that was represented of course by Jesus so then in chapter three and I'm I'm trying to keep a decent pace but I don't want to skip over anything that I've written so. Bear with me. Um, so the main idea is everyone has sinned in chapter 3. All the world is guilty. Everyone has sinned. But we are justified by faith in Jesus. So key verses 23 and 24. And probably you're probably going to know these very well. But that's okay. Nothing wrong with that. So... Um, well, can I find 23? I found 22. There we go. Since all have sinned and continually fall short of the glory of God and are being justified, declared free of the guilt of sin, made acceptable to God and granted eternal life as a gift by his precious undeserved grace through the redemption, the payment for our sin, which is provided in Christ Jesus. Now, 
In other words, everyone has sinned and we are being justified. We are being given eternal life through our faith in Jesus. So everyone is guilty of sin and unrighteousness. Um, the righteousness of God is revealed in Jesus and we are justified by our faith in Jesus. Our salvation is a gift of God's grace. And the Gentiles being brought in, uh, we fulfill the law and the prophecies. Um, we do not nullify the law. We actually fulfill the law. Um, it actually, the law, in a way, we confirm and, 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 like I say, we confirm and fulfill the law because it convicts us of sin and it points to the need for salvation, which Jesus did bring salvation for us all, not just us, but the Jews too. So that is the main that is the main thrust of uh, Romans 3. All the world, everyone is guilty, Jew and Greek or Gentile, but justified by faith in Jesus. Now if we go to chapter 4, the main idea of chapter 4 is Abraham was justified by faith. He is an example to us even today. He was justified by faith um, the key verse is verse 3. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed in, trusted, relied on God, and it was credited to his account as righteousness, right living, right standing with God. He didn't do anything to earn it. He trusted and believed in God, and it was credited to him. The same as us believing in Jesus, and it's credited to us. So, we're going back to be justified by faith, and that's a that's a good example for us. So, um, <clears throat> he talks about uh, Paul talks about you know we uh, trust in God for salvation. We believe and have faith. We do not earn it, and faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness while he was uncircumcised. Before he was uncircumcised, this was this was stated that he was. For we say faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness while he was uncircumcised. Now you can read the whole thing. I'm sort of skipping through. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal or a confirmation of his um, agreement or belief with God. That was not intended to be anything more than that. It was just an outward sign, um, an act of faith to show that he believed in God. So, so we are the same as that now. We can, we can have that same uh, faith in Jesus. The promise to Abraham was concerning spiritual descendants, not just physical descendants. That's another thing that Paul talks about here down through the uh, second part or the last, the latter part of the chapter. That the promise to Abraham was concerning spiritual descendants not just natural, physical descendants. 
Now, we're going to move on to chapter 5. The main idea here is we have reconciliation through Jesus. We are justified through our faith in Jesus. And the key verses are verses 6 through 8. While we were still helpless, powerless to provide for our salvation at the right time, Christ died as a substitute for the ungodly. Now it is an extraordinary thing for one to willingly give his life even for an upright man, though perhaps for a good man, one who is noble and selfless and worthy, someone might even dare to die. But God clearly shows and proves his own love for us by the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Sin, uh, Paul talks about sin came through Adam, through Adam's, uh, basically through Adam's unbelief and disobedience, um, and redemption comes through faith in Jesus. Now this is just, this is just the short summary, right? And God's grace to us, again, salvation, this is, is a free gift to us. It is not, again, it's not something we earn, but the free gift of God, he refers to. And uh, so he, he mentions gift several times so that we will know it's not something we're earning or we've earned. So that as sin reigned in death, so also grace would reign through righteousness, which brings eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, alright, now we're going to move on to chapter 6. Now chapter 6, the main idea, the main idea is, well, I'm going to say this a couple ways. We are dead to sin and alive to God, but what might be better and what might be better to understand is what I thought of secondly is we are really free from sin and we're willing servants of God. If you catch that, we are free from sin, we're not slaves to sin anymore, and we are willing servants to God. And the key verses, there's actually a couple of things, is uh, 12 through 14. Now again, I mean, we are in Romans 6, so keep track of where we are. Sorry about that. But I, I haven't been repeating that a lot. But we're going 12, verses 12 through 14. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts and passions. Do not go on offering members of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but offer yourselves to God in a decisive act as those alive raised from the dead to a new life and your members, all of your abilities, sanctified, set apart as instruments of righteousness yielded to God. For sin will no longer be a master over you, since you are not under law as slaves, but under unmerited grace as recipients of God's favor and mercy. So we are free from sin, and we're willing servants to God. Now let me look at verse 23, which I also mention as a key verse here. Now there's going to be verses that I'm probably going to not use that even though they're very well known. Oh, well 23 is one of those very well known ones. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, that is his remarkable overwhelming gift of grace to believers, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our, sal our, our Lord. So here he's mentioning our salvation again, and it's a free gift of God. 
um, part of this chapter. He talks about our sin being nailed to the cross with Jesus, that we should not continue in sin and, and keep, you know, keep doing things that, uh, keep doing wrong things just because we're under grace and we can get forgiveness. Um, he mentions we are willing servants to God. We're sanctified and holy for his purpose. And, of course, again, our salvation is the free gift of God. It's eternal life through Jesus. So, going to move on to chapter 7. The main idea in chapter 7 is we are free to belong to Christ and God. We are free from the law. We are free from sin. Let me go. Our key verses are 4 through 6, so it's really close here. Therefore, my fellow believers, you too died to the law through the crucified body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. When we were living in the flesh, trapped by sin, the sinful passions which were awakened by that which the law identifies as sin, were at work in our body to bear fruit for death, since the willingness to sin led to death and separation from God. But now we've been released from the law and its penalty, having died through Christ to that by which we were held captive, so that we serve God in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter of the law. So we are free to belong to Christ and we serve God in the newness of the Spirit, in the, you know, the workings of the Spirit and not according to the letter of the law. So he talks about us being free from the law and living according to the Spirit in Jesus. And the war he also talks about in the last, the second half of, of this chapter particularly, he talks about the war between our flesh and our spirit. And that it is, you know, is very much a conflicting daily thing for, he talks about for himself, but I think this is representative of us all. Um, we're always in constant conflict with those fleshy desires, the, the fleshly desires, the worldly things that we want. But in the end, he ends, he ends that by telling us, reminding us that we are delivered by Christ. Thanks be to God for my deliverance through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, again, delivered from sin and we're free to belong to Christ and God and serve them according to the Spirit. So, next, in chapter 8, the main idea is living in or by the Spirit. And there are several key verses here in Anahit. The first one is number one. Therefore, there is now no condemnation, no guilty verdict, no punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus, who believe in him as personal Lord and Savior. I didn't mention this early on, but I am reading from the Amplified Bible totally this time. Just This is all Amplified Bible in this summary. I, I want to make sure everything's as clear as possible. Um, so I apologize for not mentioning that sooner. Then other key verses, now, and these are way down, uh, are 28. If you look down to verse 28, come on, work with me. I'm getting there. 
And we know with great confidence that God, who is deeply concerned about us, causes all things to work together as a plan for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his plan and purpose, which we all are. So we know that he's causing all things to work for our good, and part of that is the training and learning we have to learn and uh, kind of be trained on how to do. And then verse 31, what then shall we say, what then shall we say to all these things? If God is for us, who can be successful against us? Or you've probably heard, if God is for us, who can be against us? Or something to that shortened effect, but still same meaning. And then I also put down verses 37 through 39. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors and gain an overwhelming victory through him who loved us so much that he died for us. For I am convinced and continue to be convinced beyond any doubt that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present and threatening nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the unlimited love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So that was a lot to say in just a few verses, but in other words, he's convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Just to try to shorten that up. So he talks about we are living in the Spirit and not the flesh. And he talks that we uh, should live, we, we are a child of God, we should live as a child of God. That we have been adopted, basically, in. We've been adopted in. We have an obligation, not to our flesh, but to live according to the Spirit. If you are living by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are habitually putting to death the sinful deeds of the body, you will really live forever. For all who are allowing themselves to be led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So we are following the Spirit and following God, and we're not living according to the sinful ways. Our sufferings cannot be compared to the glory of God, because the things that we go through now are, are just just nothing in comparison. And there is a verse on that. Here we go. For I consider from the standpoint of faith that the sufferings of the present life are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is about to be revealed to us and in us. And this is, we're talking about God's glory. And then finally, down at the, at the end of the chapter, we have victory in Jesus. We have victory in Jesus. He mentions the Holy Spirit himself interceding on our behalf. And then at the, at the very end, he says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And of course, there is the, the verse 2, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. And again, and gain an overwhelming victory, of course, through Jesus. So... So that's living in the spirit, and that's that's the key ideas there. It's quite a probably quite a bit in that that chapter. So, chapter nine, 
Chapter 9. Um, there is, the main idea here is God's children are the children of promise, of faith. Not necessarily the natural hereditary children of Abraham, though they too can be the children of God. You know, he has the key verses 8. Let me just go there and we'll, we'll, we'll run through this. That is, it is not the children of the body, Abraham's natural descendants, who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are counted as Abraham's true descendants. So, he's talking about it first, in the first of the chapter, he's talking about concern for Israel, the natural descendants of Abraham, that they are not, you know, they are basically mostly, most of them, not all, are rejecting, <clears throat> rejecting Jesus and not believing. And then he talks about the Gentiles being counted as spiritual descendants of Abraham. And, um, you know, God says, I will have mercy on whoever I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I have compassion, you know. So God chooses to give grace to the Gentiles through faith in Jesus, and he that's his right to do. He will choose... He will choose to give grace to whoever he wants. He will call those people, here he says, um, I will call those people who are not my people. Um, let's see. And there's more here. Anyway, basically saying that and he who believes, let's see, well, this is about Jesus, of course. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And he who believes in him will not, be, you know, whoever adheres to, trusts in, and relies on him will not be disappointed in his expectations. So, however that is, a stumbling and a rock of offense for, for a lot of the Jews, especially back then. So, this, this chapter again was, you know, about God's children are the children of promise, and sure the natural descendants of Abraham can be a part of that, but they are not automatically counted as a part of that. They too have to choose to accept Jesus and accept that, that faith and grace. Now, I'm going to move to chapter 10. Chapter 10, the main idea here is the gospel, the word of Christ brings salvation. The word of faith, some also say. And um, let's see, verse 9 and 10 is probably our key verses on this. Though there, I reserve the right to read others as needed. I've certainly been doing that. Okay. Because if you acknowledge and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, recognizing his power, authority, and majesty as God, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes in Christ as Savior, resulting in his justification, that is, being made righteous, being freed of the guilt of sin, and made acceptable to God, and with the mouth he acknowledges and confesses his faith openly, resulting in and confirming his salvation. So, that was the key verses. So, Paul
Paul says in this chapter, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Um, he also says the gospel must be preached. Faith comes by hearing the word. And he also mentions in the end at the bottom that not all paid attention or heeded the word or accepted the word. And one of the final things, but of Israel, he says all day long, I have stretched out my hands in compassion to a disobedient and obstinate people. So, so again, the gospel brings salvation. That is, that is the main focus of this. And, uh, but it must be preached. There must be someone who goes and preaches it because who can believe in something they have not heard? So they have to hear it. So you need someone to preach it to them. So, Romans 11. The main idea here is Israel is not rejected. Israel is the, they are the natural descendants of Abraham, and they are not rejected. They, they still need to accept Jesus, but they are not rejected. Um, the main verses for this, the main uh, key verses are... Uh, Actually, just verses 1 and 2. I say then, has God rejected and disowned his people? Certainly not. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his chosen people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? And Elijah goes on. Oh, well, he continues to quote Elijah. You know, Lord, they've killed your prophets. They've torn down your altars. I alone, alone am left. But then God's response to him is, I've kept 7,000 people who've not bowed the knee. So, there are there are some who do believe. Uh, most of Israel currently rejects salvation through Jesus, but they can still choose to accept it. Um, Gentiles are branches grafted in. If you look at, uh, Paul basically compares um, God's family to a tree. And um, it, that's a comparison that also happens in Isaiah. Um, but basically that, or maybe that's a vine in Isaiah. I was thinking it was a tree, but it could be a vine. Nonetheless, there are mentions, mentions of branches. That's why I say this. Um, but if you look at Abraham as being the root, you know, God and the Lord, and uh, Abraham being down at the base, maybe I guess God is the root and Abraham's kind of the trunk or the base, and then all the limbs growing off of there. Um, you know, um, Gentiles, us who are not Jewish, we are basically, we are branches that are grafted in through faith in Jesus. So he talks about that, and he also talks about how some of the natural branches are sheared off because they don't believe, and that's Jewish people who don't believe and that they uh, that we should not in any way feel superior or better than them because if we did not believe we would be sheared off too or we would never be grafted on to begin with so we should not feel superior to them in any way um, they are still the natural uh, limbs and branches instead we should be grateful and appreciate God's mercy and then in the <coughs> sorry in the end Paul talks about the depth of God's mercy and wisdom and how no one really knows and understands um, oh the depth and riches 
and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and decisions, and how unfathomable and untraceable are his ways. So, he talks about that and points out that we could, we've never counseled God on what to do. We've never given him advice or paid him back for all the blessings and things he gives us. So, he knows what he's doing, in other words. And we may not always get it or understand it, but God knows what he's doing. So now we're going on to chapter 12. Now chapter 12, the main idea here is our service to the Lord. Okay, and the key, the key verses is 1 and 2. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, dedicating all of yourselves set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your rational logical, intelligent act of worship. And do not be conformed to this world any longer with its superficial values and customs, but be transformed and progressively changed as you mature spiritually by the renewing of your mind, focusing on godly values and ethical attitudes, so that you may prove for yourselves what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect in his plan and purpose for you. Now I admit the Amplified Bible version gets a little wordy, but it's definitely clear, you know, definitely clear about what we should be doing and how we should be serving the Lord by focusing on his Oh, I lost it. By focusing in on his godly values and, and ethical attitudes and doing things that we should be doing. Um, <clears throat> you know, we shouldn't think more highly of ourselves than others. You know, um, he, Paul talks about that. We shouldn't, you know, be thinking too much of ourselves. Instead, we should realize that all Christians serve an equal purpose in the body of Christ. We all, it may be different purposes. But it's still an equal purpose, whether you're the big toe, the little toe, if you're, you know, the, the thumb or one of the other fingers, or if you're, you know, I was thinking earlier today and I thought of it in kind of a funny way, if I was just a hair on the arm that keeps some dust off, you know, I mean, it's still something. You still serve a purpose. You do something. Um, it doesn't matter what you are and how little or much you think of yourself. We're all part and parcel part of the whole package. Um, we should serve with the gifts we have. Not everyone has the same gifts. Some people can do this. Some people can't. You know, some people are good musicians, say, and they may serve the Lord at times with music and praise and things like that, and then some people are not. Some people are really good singers, and they may do that, and some of us are not. <laughs> and that's fine. That's fine. Maybe you will serve in another capacity. Maybe all you will do is, um, like what I try to do, I just try to do helpful things uh, when I can. I try not to grab and try to get into anything that I can't do, because I don't want to cause trouble, but if I can help do a little something, I, I try to do that pretty simple things, you know. We can all be a servant and serve in some way. Now, he also mentions, he goes on to mention that our love should be sincere and active. We should give generously. We should show mercy. 
we should uh, bless those who persecute us. Yes, and we should bless those who persecute us. And, okay. And that, is that the end there? Yeah, because, you know, God says vengeance is mine. So, yeah, we should definitely do those things. Let me repeat that again because I went through it kind of quick. But we should love sincerely. We should give generously. We should show mercy and bless those who, per who persecute us. So, now we're going to move on to chapter 13. Now chapter 13, the main idea of chapter 13 is to live honorably or conduct ourselves in an honorable fashion. Now there are several verses here and I'm going to hit these. The key, one key verse is verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God granted by his permission and sanction and those which exist have been put in place by God. Now I'm going to go down to verse 8. Owe nothing to anyone except to love and seek the best for one another. For he who unselfishly loves his neighbor has fulfilled the essence of the law relating to one's fellow man. And then we'll go down to verse 14. But clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for nor even think about gratifying the flesh in regards to its improper desires. So he talks about being subject to authority that we should follow and there's other places we know in the scriptures where we're told to follow the laws of the land. So we should you know be subject to authorities and, and as much as is you know reasonably possible and try to do what we should do. Um, I think only if the authority really came directly against, you know, God and worship would we even consider doing anything other than following authority. I know right now sometimes I feel like they're pushing but this is all supposed to be temporary, so we, I think we can bide our time and still do what we've been doing. They're not really, anyway, they're really not trying to keep us from worshiping. They're just, they're not letting us gather together, which kind of bothers me, especially if you're in the U.S., because that's something we should always be able to do. But in this case, it is an extreme exception, so I try to allow for it. Anyway, this see, see, anybody can struggle with anything at any time. You never know. So, so, but be subject to authority. Again, he basically repeats, love your neighbor. He doesn't say it exactly that way, but he's saying basically love your neighbor and fulfill the law. And Paul also talks about, you know, not to be carousing and partying and doing these things that, well, we shouldn't be doing. You know, that's why at the end he says to clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus. You know, don't let us here, let us conduct ourselves properly and honorably as in the light of day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and irresponsibility, not in quarreling and jealousy. So, this whole thing has been about conducting ourselves honorably among everyone else, with everyone else. Now, chapter 14. Chapter 14 continues partly in a similar vein. It's about being considerate of others. 
And you can say to some degree that it's uh, being considerate of those of weaker faith, but I think you can also just apply this to being considerate of all others. And we look at uh, verses 10 and 14. Let me go to 10. But you, why do you criticize your brother? Or again, why do you look down on your believing brother or regard him with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, who alone is judge. So there's one, you know, not, don't be, you know, don't be judging and, and putting down your, your weaker brother if you think of him as weaker, whatever you want to think, however you want to think of that. And then verse 14, I know and am convinced as one in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean, ritually defiled, and unholy in itself, but nonetheless it is unclean to anyone who thinks it is unclean. And I know people, well, like my mom, for instance, she will not eat any ham or pork because she has decided that it is bad for her. She really doesn't do it out of a religious sense except that she believes that the reason God said not to eat that was because it was bad for us. So there is some religious leaning, but it's not like a religious thing. It's just that she's decided to take God's first advice back in the in Genesis and say, well, I'm going to cut that out of my life. So... But it doesn't offend her if we eat pork around her. So that, I guess that's different. That's probably not a good example after all now that I think about it. Nonetheless, let me go through Paul's uh, reasoning here in this chapter. He's telling us to accept the weaker in faith without quarrel, without, you know, you can accept somebody and even if they have a little bit of, what he's talking about is if they believe something a little bit wrong. Let's say you accept somebody in and they think they have to follow certain, and he uses food because that was a big thing back then. He uses the food guidelines, um, but it can be other things. It doesn't have to be just food. Food is just an example. It can be other things in our beliefs that they think, they think, say you accept somebody in and they believe that something is wrong. And uh, maybe they believe... Um, Wearing a t-shirt with uh, pictures of, I don't know, comic book heroes like I do all the time. You know, uh, maybe they believe that's wrong, that you're kind of representing an idol there. You know, then maybe we should try, you know, not, not having a quarrel. We don't want to have a quarrel and put them down or, or be mean to them. But maybe we should try, one, not to do that and offend them in any way. But also, you know, maybe... Maybe we can talk to them and explain just a little bit, and that might help. Uh, but not being quarreling and not being judgmental. We don't want to be judgmental or offensive. Uh, we want to be considerate, and we don't want to be critical and criticizing. Because they could be, one, weaker in faith. They could also just be new in faith. So, you know, you could try to teach them a little bit without being critical and without being, you know, you don't want to be crushing you know, the new person, you know, that's not very nice. So they could be weaker or newer or both, you know, and you don't want to cause, um, then he, he goes on and talks about we don't want to cause another to stumble. You know, food and other mu mundane things like that, those are secondary concerns. And just because you know that it's okay that you do this or that, well, if you're around them instead of ordering that, rare steak, you know, maybe just get it, you know, more, 
well done or just order you something else that that won't be offensive to them if they think that's offensive some people do so you know try to consider who you're around and try to be considerate of others and this is really uh, I think this applies to a lot of things at all times like I said um, Paul really focuses because it was a big deal on the food but if you'll think about it it can apply to a lot of things and a lot of beliefs. Now, there's certain things I know that we can't we can't roll back on. You know, they have to believe in Jesus. They have to believe. You know, there's certain ten, there's certain things. You know, but um, we can teach them <clears throat> and help them and not be overly critical. And we can also accept them as being newer or weaker in faith and maybe not knowing or understanding everything. That's just an opportunity to kind of have conversations and teach and, you know, take it a little bit at a time. Don't try to take somebody in and convert them so that they know everything all at once. Don't just dump everything on them. That's too much. So, anyway. So, Paul's main idea, I want to get back to that, is being considerate of others. Especially those of, you know, weaker faith or... You could say being newer in the faith. And I think it also applies, you should apply it anyway. I think you should apply it to others in general. We should try not to be offensive. You know, we can't control everything. And sometimes just doing what we naturally do and what we know is okay, they may still get offended, but we can, you know, we can try to explain in a nice way and, and just be uh, kind to them instead of being upset with them. And that would help a lot. All right, moving on to chapter 15. Chapter 15, the main idea of chapter 15 is, well, this goes into what I was saying a minute ago, in a way, if you'll just hear me out, responsibility of strong believers and being able to deny ourselves a little bit. The key verses are 1 and 2 and 7. So let me read these to you. So 1 and 2, Now we who are strong in our convictions and faith ought to patiently put up with the weaknesses of those who are not strong and not just please ourselves. Let each one of us make it a practice to please his neighbor for his good, to build him up spiritually. So that goes in to what I was talking about and I probably, you know, had, I was probably mentally actually jumping forward. I didn't mean to. Verse 7 Therefore, continue to accept and welcome one another just as Christ has accepted and welcomed us to the glory of our great God. So, as strong believers, as older believers, as those who, who know more, you know, um, we should be patient with weaker or newer Christians, with those who maybe don't know as much. Um, and we should, we should be patient with them and tolerate, you know, little things and try to help them learn and try to teach them more. Um, you know, I certainly appreciate it when people talk to me and, and teach me things. And, and, you know, it's why I, that's the main reason I really, um, I like to be around other believers and all. But the main reason I go to church is I like to hear someone else teaching something. A lot of times I can get something different because different people will have a slightly different take or maybe they'll just extend it. It's hard to describe. Maybe they will have a better way of saying it that, that 
gets me better, that I understand better. You just never know. But anyway, so I like to hear different folks teach and, and talk on things. So then he also, Paul also talks about, um, he, he praises them. He praises the Roman, the people in, in Rome, the Roman congregation. And he tells them of his traveling plans and how um, he's taking money to Jerusalem and different things like that. And then at the end, he asks, he urges them to pray with him and for him. Oh, he also mentions in his traveling plans possibly going to Spain and different things after he goes to Rome. So, that is, um, that's basically first verse 15, responsibility of the strong believers. And then also these little, the praises and the little traveling plans. He's kind of entering into the end of his letter. And then, and the main idea in verse 16, I mean, I'm sorry, chapter 16, if I'm saying verse, I, I really apologize. Chapter 16, the main idea here is greetings. It's greetings like in verse 1, he introduces Phoebe. He says, now I introduce and commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deaconess servant of the church at Syncria, that you may receive her in the Lord with love and hospitality. And it, he continues on. And then he goes through a lot more greetings. And then he has a warning he gives them a warning down here after a lot of greetings. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to keep your eyes on those who cause dissension and create obstacles or introduce temptations for others to commit sin, acting in ways contrary to the doctrine which you have learned. Turn away from them, for such people do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites and base desires. By smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. So, he's just giving them a warning to watch out, basically, for false teachers, for dissenters, and false teaching. And then, in the end, he gives a final, like a final praise and blessing to them. And it's it's a it's a little long, and for my way of reading in English, it, it it's worded a little odd. But uh, but I think I I get the idea. It's it's kind of a blessing to them and a praise to the Lord at the same time. So, and that is the end of Romans. That is the summary. Maybe this was not the best summary. It's the first one I've done like this, so bear with me. I, I intend to try to keep this up, and I will try to do better. But uh, So overall, he has, he has walked through telling them how to live. Let's see. Let's go back explaining. Go back to my first page here. So, I mean, so overall, he explains, you know, he explains the gospel, and he talks about God's impartiality and how the Jews and the Gentiles both fit in and how we've all sinned and we're all justified and how you know Abraham was justified through faith and we're we all have reconciliation through Jesus and we are free from sin we're willing servants of God we're we're free to belong to Christ and God and live according to the Spirit. We're living by the Spirit if we're living correctly and we're living as a child of God. Um, we are God's children. We are the children of promise. 
And the gospel, the word of Christ, brings salvation, but it needs to be preached. It needs to be taught. Israel is not rejected. Our service to the Lord is that we all serve a purpose in the in the body of Christ, we all serve a purpose, whether we're a handyman or a preacher or uh, like like maybe me, I'm just I'm just someone who tries to help do a few odd things here and there, whatever I can do, um, or uh, maybe like some of the ladies, they're really good about uh, doing different things. They fix things up all the time, and uh, one lady has done painting and done all kinds of stuff. So, um, <clears throat> you know. We're to live honorably, we should be considerate of others, and we should help, you know, the strong should help the weaker. And we should watch out for false teachers. And that's the super skinny version right there, okay? That was the really fast summary of the summary, all right? Okay, so I hope that this is helpful to you. It is. It was a helpful exercise for me. And if you're ever reading the epistles and you want to force yourself to learn more, um, you know, kind of do some, if you don't write, if you want to do it on your computer, either way, but I mean, just kind of, you know, take down, like, what's the what's the theme of this chapter? What's, what's he trying to get across here? And then what's the overall theme of the letter and different things like that? And that can be very helpful. The overall theme of Romans really was to teach, was to teach them uh, the gospel, period. I mean, it, to teach them how to live according to the gospel and how, he starts with teaching them how it works, you know, um, what it is and how everything works and how everything has been, but he's also teaching them how to live and how to be. So um, it's an overall, it's a, it's a big summary of the Christian faith. Um, it's a lot to take in, but uh, it's really good for us to study it. So I want to thank you for listening. Please keep safe and, you know, keep your family safe and watch out for others. And uh, remember that God loves you.